Good morning, or good evening, or whenever this message finds you. I'd like to open with a question. Does anybody here today feel like a sheep? In pop culture today, it's often popular to pick a quote-unquote spirit animal that defines you. Uh, what that typically means is you pick an animal that either defines you currently, describes you, or it describes something that you would like to be, or characteristics that you would like to have. For instance, someone who is friendly and playful may say that their spirit animal is an otter, or someone who desires to be a loner, strong, silent. I would typically pick something like an, a lone wolf. And this morning, I would admit to you, in many respects or many times, I feel like my spirit animal is a sheep, a domesticated sheep. Now, a few things about a domesticated sheep. Uh, descriptions of a domesticated sheep typically fall within a list that would begin with the word easy or easily or variations of that word. A sheep is easily lost, easily misled, easy prey, easily hurt. They easily get sick. They're easily malnourished. They are easily scared or panicked. In today's politically charged environment, a term has been coined to describe people often of the opposing political viewpoint, and it typically is a negative term, or a term that has negative connotations. To describe someone as a sheep or a sheeple typically means that that individual would follow the rhetoric of someone or some ideology without fact-checking. But the reality is that description is an apt one for people in general, and I will use that, hijack the term, so to speak, to say that the majority of people, if not all, could be described as sheeple. In one way or another, we decide to follow a creed an ideology or a person, because that is built into our DNA. We like to follow something. We need something to fill a void, a need to be led. And so in many respects today, describe all of us, humanity, as sheeple. And the thing about sheep is, sheep really need one thing to survive. Truth be told, it's many things, but there's one thing that can fulfill all of the needs of a flock of sheep, and that one thing is a shepherd. Before we begin this morning's message, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, people who need a shepherd, Thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for the love that we did not deserve, a love that is rich beyond all measure, that is the definition of love. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that you sought us, bought us, brought us into your flock. And this morning, as we open your word to study it, we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, to what you would have us to hear, what you would have us to learn. Lord, we pray for those of us in this flock that need help, that need the strong hand of the shepherd, Lord. Pray that you would provide for this flock. We thank you so much for your love, a love that will not let us go, that is rich beyond all measure, that we don't deserve. And we pray that as we open your word, that you would bless the reading of your word, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Good Shepherd. And we pray all these things in your precious and holy name, the name that is above every name, 
Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 23 Written by David, who was a shepherd and later a king. And of all people, David was uniquely qualified to write Psalm 23. When he opened the psalm with the words, The Lord is my shepherd, David, a former shepherd, knew exactly what was meant by those words. He understood the depth of what he was saying. As a former shepherd, having a relationship with his sheep, understanding the fact that when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, he was saying he was a sheep. And he knew what that meant. He knew what it meant to say that the Lord is my shepherd. He knew all of the things that a shepherd does for his flock. Now, shepherds played an incredibly important role in society, in ancient society, uh, and in societies that are still tribal, play an important role. But at the time of David, definitely played an important role. A, sh a shepherd cared for the sheep, and the sheep provided a lot of commodities for the people of Israel. They provide wool, and wool is used to make clothing, or blankets, or anything that is designed to warm individuals. They provided milk, could be drunk. They provided meat. Well-tended sheep, or flocks of sheep, were good for the land, above really any other type of herd animal were very good for the land. And so shepherd played an important role in society, but their place in society, more often than not, less than the importance of their actual contribution, especially if you get into the time of Jesus. And it's interesting that the birth of Jesus was announced first, not to kings, not to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the religious elite, but to shepherds. The Lord, many times in Scripture, used that description, the relationship between sheep and shepherd, to describe the relationship between God and Israel, between mankind and God. And it's a beautiful picture. It really is a truly beautiful picture, the picture of a sheep and the relationship with their shepherd truly captures the essence of the relationship between Yahweh, God, Adonai Elohim, and the people of Israel, his people. And if you take it a step further as Christians, which I think we can, it's a beautiful description an apt description, not perfect, but very nearly so, of the relationship between Jesus and his church. We are like sheep. He is the shepherd. David begins chapter 23, verse 1, with these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want to stop here to say this. This psalm is for those of us who can say those words with confidence, who can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd. If you can't say that with confidence, if you cannot say that the Lord is your shepherd, this psalm is not for you. And I would beg you that you seek the Lord to talk to somebody who's a part of that flock, to understand and grasp the importance of being a part of the flock of the Lord. And if you seek the Lord, you can say with the psalmist, in Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, 
as a description for salvation. The Lord is pictured as someone who is knocking, waiting for people to open the door. And if you seek him, you will find him. As the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So I strongly encourage you, I beg you, if you're not a part of that flock, if you cannot say those words, the Lord is my shepherd, seek to become part of that flock. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. A wonderful thing to be a part of, the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God. But if you are, if you can say those words, the Lord is my shepherd, as we move forward, I believe Psalm 23 can be outlined this way, or this is the way that I outlined it. Verses 1 through 3 show the Lord's provision. Verses 4 and 5 show the Lord's protection. And verse 6 shows the Lord's promise. And as we go through this, I believe that there are many names of God that apply. And in the first verse, there's one that's explicitly stated. The Lord is my shepherd. The name of God that is here is Jehovah-Rohi, which literally means the Lord is my shepherd. And that's such a loaded statement. And as we go through this psalm, you'll start to understand and realize what that actually means. The Lord is my shepherd. And psalm 23 is a popular psalm. I memorized it as a child. I still can quote it. Uh, in, albeit in the King James Version. I'll be reading this morning from the New King James. But it is a wonderful psalm. A beautiful psalm. Full of promise. For lack of a better way to put this. And he begins, he moves on from the statement, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, to this statement, I shall not want. I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not need. Ever. There's no end to that. That statement does not say that I shall not lack for a season. It says I shall not lack, period. The end. I shall not want. And I think it's important to distinguish between the, the concept of need and the concept of want. And the word want, I shall not want, truly means I shall not lack. It does not mean that we will get everything that we truly desire. One thing about sheep, one thing about people, is that there are things that we want that are not good for us. There are things that sheep want, that they desire, that the shepherd knows and understands is not good for them. But the shepherd, the good shepherd, provides everything that the sheep truly needs. So that that sheep lacks nothing that they need. Not that they get everything that they want, but that they have everything that they need. That's an important distinction. And there are certain things that the Lord promises. One thing that the Lord says is, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. The Lord will provide that to those that ask. If you were having difficulty struggling, the Lord says to cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. That frustration, that anxiety, he tells you to give to him, and he will provide what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. As we move on to verse 2, in verse 3, I typically, uh, as a child, when I read this verse, I would typically look at these verses and say, this is a picture of serenity. If you read, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You think of these beautiful pastoral pictures where the sheep are grazing, 
in these beautiful green pastures that you would probably find in the state of Colorado or Montana in the summer. And I don't think that's wrong to state those things or just to look at those things. Because it is true the Lord does grant peace, but I think that there is deeper meaning to be found in these scriptures, especially as you look at, the, at Psalm 23 through the lens of someone who is trying to understand the true relationship between sheep and their shepherd. Verse 2a, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And as we move forward in this section, I talked about the names of the Lord that you find here. This is not explicitly stated, but I think it applies. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, as part of my study, in preparation for this message, I read excerpts from a book that was written by a former shepherd. And I don't remember the exact title off the top of my head for this book, but... The essence of the book was Psalm 23, a study of the psalm from the perspective of a shepherd. And if you cared to read the same excerpts I did, I'd be more than happy to provide you the link. There's a, a link online that uh, you can find excerpts from this book for free. You could buy it if you'd like. It's on Amazon, and I can provide you the name, again, at your request. But one of the things that... He said, again, I understand the concept of verses 2 and 3 painting a beautiful picture of serenity. But when you really look at sheep, I think you grasp, or you at least gain a, a greater understanding of what these verses that were penned by a shepherd really truly mean. Verse 2a, he makes me lie down in green pastures. There are quite a few things, quite a few conditions that need to be met in order for sheep to feel comfortable enough to lay down. And sheep do need to lay down. Uh, it's, it's rest. They need to rest. They need repose from the constant movement or, or shuffling around or grazing. They need to rest. But in order to do so, in order to be comfortable enough to do so, Several conditions need to be met. The first one is they need to be full. They need to have eaten their fill of grass. And notice here in the psalm, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The shepherd led these sheep to these green pastures so that they could eat their fill. And so that condition has been met. The second condition that needs to be met is security. They need to feel safe in order to lie down. Sheep are not known for their ability to flee. They are, as we said at the beginning of this message, easy prey. And so they need to feel secure in order to be secure enough to lie down. And the last thing that needs to be met is, like most herd animals, sheep have what in the chicken world would be called a pecking order, but in the sheep world would co be called a budding order. And so sheep, obviously the strongest sheep will be at the top of the budding order, and the weakest will be at the bottom. And they all know where they fall within the budding order, and what they will do is they will jostle each other, they will actually lower their heads and butt each other to establish their dominance and to make sure that they have the best grazing area the best water, the best position, wherever it is. And they do that constantly with each other. They focus on each other. And that application does show in, in Christian life we tend to focus on other people. But when the shepherd is present, when he's there, when he's in the midst of his flock, the sheep forget. I wouldn't say necessarily forget, but they focus when they focus on the shepherd. That's not a concern of theirs. So their physical needs have been met. They're full. They feel secure and safe because the shepherd has made sure that they are secure and safe, that predators, uh, that dangers are not there, that flies are not there. 
And because he is present, they don't have to worry about each other and where, whether or not they are going to maintain their current position in the budding world. And so they can lay down and rest. He maketh me by his mere presence. Lie down in green pastures. Verse two, B. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The first part about this is incredibly important in the sense that sheep, just like any mammal, we are a good example of that, are composed of a lot of water. Their body composition is a lot of water. As humans, we are 70% water. Uh, the same is true of sheep. They're about 70% water. And they need water to survive. And if they do not have enough water to satisfy their, their needs... And if they are not shown good water, they will, left to their own devices, drink anything. Anything that's liquid. Regardless of how dirty, muddy, diseased, disgusting, stagnant that water is, they will drink it. Because they need it. And then they will get sick. And in extreme cases, they could die from drinking bad water. And you see here, the shepherd, God, leads them beside the still, deep, restful water. He knows where the good water is, and he brings his sheep to that water. Another way that sheep get water is they will graze on dew, dewy grass. And a shepherd will often get up early in the morning and ensure that his flock is grazing on dewy grass. But when that is not enough, he will take them to good water and ensure that they have the life-giving liquid that they need. He leads me beside the still waters. If you relate that to Jesus, we'll get into this a little bit more, but one of the great I am statements from John is when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said, I am the living water. Anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again. And so when you look at this description, this picture of a shepherd in context with the Christian walk, with Jesus Christ as our shepherd, what does he lead us to? Himself. The living water, so that we may drink, so we may drink of this living water and never be thirsty again. And the second thing I think that is incredibly important about this is the word he leads. As I was studying this, one of the words that I believe aptly described a shepherd was a leader. Leadership is one of the characteristics of a shepherd. Shepherds make good leaders, good shepherds at least. David himself, who was a shepherd boy, became the king of Israel and was considered by many to be the epitome, the pinnacle of the Israeli, of Judeo kings. Leadership. Leadership is incredibly important. A good leader will make a group of people, will make a unit. And that is no more, I would say, obvious than in a military setting. If you have a bad leader, if you have bad leadership, that entire unit will break down. Bad things will happen. If you have a good leader, there are numerous examples of good leadership in the military, good leadership in general, I should say. And if you look at those units, those people that have a good leader, they thrive. And we, or David, as he said in here, describes the Lord as his shepherd as a leader, leading him beside the still waters. And a shepherd does that. A shepherd is a leader. And we'll get, to get more into that a little bit later. He restores my soul. Verse 3a. And that could be many things. In the context of Christianity uh, or our walk today, He restores my soul. That could be salvation. A description of salvation. 
we are separated from God. We're separated from God from birth due to original sin. And through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have access. Our souls have been restored. He restores my soul. We are sanctified. And again, thinking about the names of God, Jehovah Kadesh, the God who sanctifies. I wrote that down as I was studying this. But in the context of sheep and shepherds, one thing that is interesting I, I learned, I don't believe anyone here is a shepherd, and if you are, feel free to correct me, but I took this from, from what I understand is a former shepherd and his description of sheep and their behaviors. A sheep that is in trouble, at least in Old England, is called a cast-down sheep. And what that means is sheep can be a ewe with lamb, so they're pregnant. It can be any of the two genders of sheep who has a lot of wool. But that sheep will lie down on an incline, maybe, and they will lean one way, and due to the fact that they have poor center of balance and uh, they have a lot of wool or whatever else, they may get overbalanced, and as soon as their feet leave the ground, they start to panic, and they flail. They flail helplessly, and they bleat, and that actually makes it worse. So they are now flailing on their back, unable to roll over, and that type of sheep or that sheep in that condition is called a cast-down sheep. And that sheep, depending on the weather, depending on the terrain, depending on what's around them, can die in a matter of hours, or could die in a couple of days, but they will die if left in that state. And you'll notice that if you're describing sheep, contradiction maybe, uh, to the good relationship, uh, and healthy sheep is always a sheep without a shepherd, or a sheep by himself, or a sheep that has fallen away, or cast down, is led astray, whatever. And in this particular instance, it's a cast down sheep, that sheep is by itself, on its back, unable to do anything. Perfect prey, by the way, for the predator. Whether it's a coyote, or a wolf, or a bear, or whatever. A cast-down sheep is prey. They're helpless. And what the shepherd will do in that instance, is he will seek those cast-out sheep, because he knows how many he has in his flock, and that sheep didn't show up in the morning, or didn't show up in the evening, whatever the case may be. And he goes out and he finds that sheep that's cast down. And he picks it up, writes it, reassures it, speaks to it calmly, rubs its legs, rubs its body, calms that sheep's nerves to the point where when that sheep's soul has been restored, that sheep runs back to the flock. And so that's the picture we see here of a shepherd restoring the soul of his sheep, his cast-down sheep. 3b. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sheep are creatures of habit. If left to their own devices, they will follow the same path as a flock to the same field over and over and over again. And more than any other flock, any other type of animal, they will destroy good pasture. If left to their own devices, they will return to the same pasture over and over and over again. And will utterly decimate it. And there are other things that come from a sheep doing that. As the natural process of sheep eating ends... Uh, they will begin to create the conditions which are perfect for parasites, flies, pestilence to formulate in these regions, and sheep will get sick 
not only will they potentially starve because there's nothing there to eat, but they will get sick because they are eating in the same place that plague, pestilence, parasites are in. And so the good shepherd leads them in paths of righteousness, moves them away, rotates them around, finds new pasture for them. And again, we see that word, he leads them. He leads that sheep in paths of righteousness, a good path, a path that is safe, because it is righteous. For his name's sake. I found that interesting. You think about it. A shepherd would be known to others by the condition of his flock. A good shepherd who has healthy, fat, content sheep who bring good wool to the market, good food, good milk, will be well known as a good shepherd because his sheep are well tended. A bad shepherd, the contrary would show, would have sickly sheep, sheep that produce poor wool, poor meat. Spotted lambs, if you're talking about a sacrificial lamb. And people would know that shepherd based on the fact that he has a sickly flock. And so for his name's sake, he leads us in paths of righteousness. The question is, do we choose to follow for his name's sake? Verse 4, and this is where we transition into protection protection that the shepherd provides. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this can mean two things, I think, applicable to our lives today. It could mean death, actual physical death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as I approach death's door, as I move to the end of my life and look to that transition. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? This is the crux of this entire section right here. Verse 4. For thou, for you, for the shepherd, are with me, is with me. The rest of that verse would mean nothing without that statement. And again, in the context of us today, as Christians, approaching death, O oh, death, where is thy sting? Was taken away. And why? How? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross on our behalf and he took the sting of death away from us. And so as we approach death's door, no matter what age, I will fear no evil. None whatsoever. I will not be afraid of death, of what it brings. For thou art with me. And in the context of sheep, again, sheep would often be moved through difficult terrain as they moved, as a shepherd would move his sheep from pasture to pasture. And sheep follow their shepherd. The shepherd walks in front of them or with them through these valleys. And if you think about a valley, a valley has high ground either all around it or on both sides. And from a military perspective, that is the most dangerous terrain to find yourself in. The high ground is a concept in military tactics. It's an important concept, I should say. It's it's what you want to have and to hold the high ground. You have an advantage if you hold the high ground. And so as sheep walk through the valley, they're walking in the shadow of death because there are predators in the hills looking for an opportunity to cause havoc and to steal away a sheep to eat. And predators aren't the only 
danger. You could have rock slides. You could have uh, crevices and ravines that sheep could fall into. You could have water that's deep and running through a valley. You could have uh, snakes that hide in crevices inside the valley. But again, the concept here is that the sheep fear no evil for one reason and one reason alone, because the shepherd is with them. If the shepherd wasn't with them, that sheep would be terrified. And as we walk through the difficulties of life, the valley of the shadow of death from the perspective, not of death itself, but the fact that life presents to us difficulties, we will fear no evil, not true evil. There may be difficulty, there may be trouble and hardship, but true evil? We don't need to fear that. Because the shepherd, the Lord God Almighty, is with us. His rod and his staff, it comforts us. Now, a shepherd would have typically carry two things, a rod and a staff. A rod would be a piece of wood that often has some sort of a knobby, hard end. It's hardened and perfected, and they perfect their ability to use it in a defensive or an offensive way. And then a staff. The rod is used for several things. One, it would be obviously the defense of the flock. If the sheep are in danger, or the shepherd is in danger, or both, that shepherd will use that rod to strike at the danger. But a rod can also be a disciplinary tool. Not necessarily in the sense that it would be used to strike, viciously strike the sheep. But let's say a sheep bolted from the flock, or started to move away from the flock towards danger, unwittingly. The shepherd would hurl his rod, striking something nearby the sheep, and startling it back towards the flock, towards good land and away from danger. The term passing under the rod, if anybody's heard of that, that's actually a term that has to do with shepherding. When the shepherd would bring the sheep into the sheepfold for the night, the sheep would pass under the rod of the shepherd. And then when the shepherd counted that sheep, it passed under the rod, that sheep was accounted for. And sometimes there was more to just counting them one, two, three. They would use that rod to check the condition of the sheep, to part the wool and check their skin, which is uh, quite easily damaged. Checking to make sure that that sheep is healthy, that the sheep is okay. And it would, it would use the rod to part the wool and to check that sheep. And then when that sheep passed under the rod, that sheep was now accounted for and safely within the sheepfold. And the second thing that the shepherd had was a staff. And that staff was used for the comfort of the shepherd as he walked. I mean, typically, if you find yourself walking through the woods, you'll pick up a piece of wood and use that as a staff. But they would also use that to take care of the sheep. If a sheep found itself stuck in thorns or fell into the water uh, or a crevice, and we all know what the stereotypical shepherd's staff looks like, you just have to look at a candy cane. It has the little crook. And that's not how every shepherd's staff looked, but that's a good example of. They would use some sort of a hook or a crook like that in the staff to help assist removing the sheep from danger. So if it had fell, it had fallen into a crevice or it got stuck in a, a thorn bush, they would use that staff to re help remove it from danger. Another way that they would use that staff by way of example would be if a, a ewe had given birth to its lamb. Oftentimes, even domesticated animals, if you touch it too much, if you touch the lamb too much, there is a risk that the mother will reject that baby lamb or baby cow or whatever it is. And so a shepherd would oftentimes use the staff to pick up that lamb and move it to its mother to begin feeding to prevent or at least to mitigate the potential for that you to reject the lamb. And another aspect of that that I think is important to mention is if you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, you think about God, 
in, in the context of having a, a rod and a staff. There's power there. You know, if we had a shepherd that had zero power, that had zero authority, that had zero ability to protect the flock, then we wouldn't have a lot of confidence in our shepherd. But we serve the risen Savior. We serve a God, the God, who created the entire universe, who is God Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's our shepherd. And there is comfort to be found in understanding that he has power and authority and the ability to protect and care for us. And so that rod and that staff, they comfort me. And again, we see another name of the Lord appear here, I believe. Not in the text itself, but we, contextually we can say, applies. Jehovah Shalom, God is our peace. Our peace is found in Jehovah, God. Moving into verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a lot that can be said about this, and I think just to keep it succinct, if you think about the fact that shepherds take their flocks out into fields that are not fenced in, they're preparing a table for their sheep in the midst of danger. And that shepherd does a lot to mitigate the danger. They will go out and inspect that field before they take the sheep there. They will make sure that there are no weeds there that can cause the sheep to become sick. They will check for snakes, serpents, predators, evidence of predators in the region, and try to ensure that those predators, that those dangers are not there. Anything that would uh, create favorable conditions for pests to formulate flies, mosquitoes, whatever it is, they will do their best to ensure that all of these things are taken care of prior to bringing their flock to these fields. So they prepare a table for their sheep in the presence of their enemies. And as we live as Christians in this world, this world is not our home. We know that. You're strangers in a strange land, in this world, but not of this world. The Lord Jesus Christ prepares a table for us in this world, in the presence of our enemies. And we would do well to understand that we do have enemies, people who would desire ill, for us in this world. Not to say that we should become combative. That's the Lord's job, the shepherd's job, to take care of us. But he prepares a table, a safe place for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil. What a shepherd would often do is, when a sheep was ill, or maybe a better way of putting this is a sheep was uh, the skin, the sensitive skin was damaged in some way, shape, or form. There would be oil placed on those damaged portions of the skin to help with the healing process. Or uh, sheep are easily plagued by insects, specifically nose flies, I'm told. Uh, and those, those flies will fly up uh, the nose of a sheep and lay eggs in the, the, the mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. And in a few days, larvae will hatch. And there's a lot of problems that will happen. A sheep will be driven nearly to madness. And blindness could occur ultimately if this is allowed to progress. A shepherd would anoint a sheep with a mixture of olive oil and other herbs that would help prevent these things from occurring to a sheep, the pestilence, the problems, the difficulties from occurring to these sheep. Thou anointest my head with oil. Not only is there a healing, but there's a preventative measure here. And again, we've seen before in this text, there are other names of the Lord, which I believe apply. One that applies here would be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals physically and spiritually. And this, this verse ends with the phrase, my cup runs over. 
my cup runs over. And there's only one reason why a sheep or our cup would run over. And that is due to the attention and the focus and the hard toil of the shepherd. It has nothing to do with the sheep's abilities. That has nothing to do with the sheep doing what they need to do. Or doing what they they do do. It is entirely the shepherd that ensures that the sheep's cup runneth over. Think about that in the context of the Christian life. Ephesians. Ephesians 3... 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, we are given more than we can handle. More than we need. More than we desire. More love. More love than we can understand, grasp, and handle was given to us by the God of the universe, by Jesus Christ himself. More grace, more mercy, more everything. My cup runs over. I can't even contain the gifts that are given to me, which incidentally have nothing to do with my good works, my capabilities or abilities, everything is given. My cup runneth over. And then we get to the promise section of Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Again, as we talked about, the cup runneth over portion. This has nothing to do with us. The focus here is the shepherd, the work that is done to ensure that goodness and mercy follow that flock, that follow the sheep, has everything to do with the shepherd, and nothing to do with the sheep. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness. Who is truly good besides the Lord Jesus Christ, besides God the Father? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where do we see that, that concept of dwelling in the house of the Lord? John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We are constrained by time. God is not. That is a future promise for us. We will, as Christians, as members of his flock, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In that place that the Lord prepares for us. We talked about earlier one of the great I Am passages of John. Another one pertains to Psalm 23 in John chapter 10. And to give you a little context of John chapter 10, please uh, feel free to turn there. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. And that blind man went to the temple and presented himself to the Pharisees and gave the credit to Jesus. And the Pharisees could not handle that, stating that he was born in sin. And they cast him out. So he was born blind, spent a good chunk of his life without the ability to see. But he was a Jew, was able to attend services 
And now he's cast out of the temple. But he didn't care. And the Lord Jesus came back to him after this happened. And said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And there were some Pharisees that were here that heard him say that, and questioned him and said, Is that us? Do we see? Are we blind? And we transition into chapter 10. Now Jesus had reserved in his ministry some of his harshest words for the religious elite, the religious in general. And he didn't hold back in this section. He equated the religious elite to the hireling. Now a hireling will bolt at the first sign of trouble. That is not his flock. He was hired to do a job, and he doesn't truly care about that flock. And so when the predator comes, when trouble and danger comes, that highly bolts. And those who enter the sheepfold, not by the door, but climbing over the wall, they're equated to thieves and to predators. Pretty harsh words that he had for the religious at the time. But, in verse 11, he said these words, I am the good shepherd. Now imagine if you were part of the religious elite and you heard those words. The Psalms of David were known to you. In fact, many that were there, present, probably also were familiar with the Psalms of David. Let's say you thought of Psalm 23 when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I go, oh, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. This is one of those times when Jesus was pretty explicit in stating that he was the Son of God. And we learn a few things about uh, sheep and shepherd. Again, that relationship between sheep and shepherd here that is not explicitly stated in Psalm 23. If you look at verse 4, and when he brings, this is the shepherd, out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And you see that, that same concept of sheep knowing the shepherd's voice later on in verse 16 and 27. My dad had a cousin who was a, I wouldn't necessarily say a shepherd, but he had some sheep. And he would call the sheep when he went out in the field by saying, Come, sheep. Come, sheep. Similar to that, at least according to my father. And the sheep recognized him, and they would come when he said those words. And my dad and his cousins would often try to emulate their cousin, using the same tone, the same timbre of the voice, and say exactly the same thing. Come, sheep. Come, sheep. And it may have sounded the same to them, but not to those sheep. Those sheep refused to come for my father and his cousins. He would only come for the shepherd, the one that they knew the voice of. That's just such a wonderful thing, especially in the context of the Christian faith. We should know the voice of our Savior, because we spend time with him, and he with us. But in verse 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd, the next statement he makes, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is a foreshadowing of his death. So the good shepherd is willing to lay his life down for sheep. That doesn't make any sense. That shepherd loves his sheep, knows them by name, and they know him and know his voice. He loves them so much that he's willing to lay his life down for the sheep. And another thing that comes out of this, this passage of Scripture that's really important, hugely important, I believe, for us brothers and sisters today is the modern church, the Gentile church, is verse 16. And, an, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We are benefactors of the fact that he sought other sheep beyond the Israelite nation. We didn't deserve it. 
We don't deserve it. And he sought us and added us to the flock of God. Hallelujah. Praise God for the fact that he brought us, sought us and bought us and brought us into his flock this morning. And how did he buy us? Good shepherd gives his life for the sheep and he gave it willingly. We see later in this passage of scripture that he laid it down of his own accord. No one took it from him. In the context of Psalm 23, it's quite interesting when you think about the fact that David, who was himself a shepherd, penned that psalm. And David the shepherd became king, king of Israel, the king that was chosen by God. Saul was not that king. David was. From Jesse's stock upbringing, from the line of kings, came the king of kings. And we see that in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus came from the line of David, from the line of kings. And as he stated in John chapter 10, he is the good shepherd relating back to Psalm 23 written by his forefather, David. Who like a spotless lamb was willingly led to the slaughter. One passage of scripture, again, we talk about people and really us being sheep. One passage of scripture comes to mind, Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's a picture of sheep without a shepherd. But the Lord has laid on him that spotless lamb who was willingly led. He humbled himself to the point of death, even at death on the cross even though he was in the form of God, or being equal with God. He was God, I should say. Was willingly led to the slaughter and became an atoning sacrifice to save us from the sentence our sins demanded, so that we may be sanctified and live eternally on that bright and heavenly shore. That was the price that bought his flock the good shepherd paid the ultimate price, a price that we cannot even begin to understand. And yet we stand here benefactors of that price being paid by the good shepherd who willingly laid down his life for his sheep. In the context of Psalm 23, if you go back through what we talked about, the provision of God, the protection of God, and the promise... All of that applies to Jesus. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father, the Lord, who is my shepherd. He restored our souls through his sacrifice. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of it. Praise God for that sacrifice. Praise God that we have a good shepherd who loves us beyond anything that we can understand, grasp. And this love, this, this inclusion into the flock of God is something that can never change. It can never be pulled out of it. There's nothing that can remove us from that flock once we are part of it. For I am convinced. How does that go? In Romans. For I am persuaded, New King James, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, Good Shepherd, praise God. God and Savior like a shepherd lead us. We pray that. And we pray that we would be good sheep, that we would follow the shepherd, that we would spend enough time to know his voice. Let's close in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open it, to study it. We thank you for the fact that we are a part of your flock, something that we don't deserve, something that we will never deserve. And we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and the fact that that will follow us all the days of our life, Lord. We thank you for the promise that we will one day spend eternity with you in heaven, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. We love you, we give you praise, and we thank you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.